financial crisis, everybody was interested in healthcare. And I think a lot of people realized that we had really beaten up on employees and others in the economy that you weren't going to get them to improve on their health, right? You weren't, you know, a big health plan wasn't going to be able to go to somebody or help or an employer that just fired a bunch of people. It wasn't going to be able to please go take care of yourself. They'd be like, screw you, right? So you just got a sense that this was going to be a time. But what all. Thank you so much for tuning into Journey with Christian Evans podcast. I'm your host, Christian D. Evans. And guys, we have a very special guest on today. We're going to be talking to the CEO and founder of the Lonely Entrepreneur Organization, which we're going to be diving into a lot of what that is and what that stands for and what they're doing over there. But this individual, we're going to be talking about his background as well. He In 2008, he almost lost his whole business. His whole business almost had 500 employees and within 10 days, almost losing it, going bankrupt. And he was able to pivot, which we're going to be diving in, all the story, all the background, and then being able to pivot and then being able to successfully grow that, successfully grow that, and then as well have an amazing exit. And one of the leading entrepreneurs in this industry, which is going to be a lot of fun and kind of what he was able to do to revolutionize the health industry. Please welcome my next guest, the one and only Michael Dermer. How are you doing today, Michael? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for having me. That's some introduction. I hope I can move up there. <laughs> well, you definitely can, and I, I'm so excited about having you on because one of the things that I think is so fun is is obviously during your story, it's not fun, right? The uncertainty, the stress, the anxiety, just you know, the responsibility that you had to have. I want to go back, back to Michael when you were running this business. Okay, your business, you had 500 employees. 2008, perfect storm kind of happened, and all of a sudden, a whole bunch of uncertainty. And you had to make tough decisions. So if you can think about, imagine yourself back in those moments, you didn't know what the future exists now, what you've been able to do, the success you've been able to achieve now. But what were some of those big pivot moments? What were some of those big lessons that you learned during that period of time? Yeah. Well, thank you. First of all, thank you so much for having me. Dive into this, which, which I find so interesting. You know, obviously, when everything at a macro level, things you could not control, right? And what I found this is what you had to go through during that time is very applicable to what's going on right now, but also what's going, what will happen in the future, right? It's, there's always booms and bust, right? And those that are CEOs and founders that are listening to this podcast, they have to sit there and they have to understand there's macro things you can't control, but there's micro things that you can control and you have to be decisive action. And in a boom cycle, your mindset switches. And then a bust cycle, your mindset switches as a founder. Where you're leading is you're going to be survivor. Are you growing? Are you, you know, building an empire, right? There's just different mindsets. So my question, Michael, is when you were in that situation, when you started seeing kind of the trend, you started realizing a lot of your, your, your clients were going bankrupt. You started realizing, okay, there's going to be expenses and then there's going to be revenue way down here, right? There's going to be a misalignment. So then you had to say, okay, well, there's a realistic picture. There's a feedback loop. What are we going to make a decisive action? Well, there's certain things that we could do to right away decrease our expenses to ensure that we obviously, or maybe have a, a, a long runway in, in cash reserves. So help me walk through the way you were thinking about these detrimental things that were very, very quick and how decisive action you guys had to establish and what were those actions that you took? Well, Michael, I really, well, Michael, appreciate, I really you appreciate you sharing, sharing that, because that because I find that I find so that interesting, the journey, the journey and the way and you were able to think about those tough, tough decisions. decisions. If, you could, if you could, what was the conversation, was the conversation like, like between, between you, you 
and your employees and, your employees and, and being authentic, authentic and, vulnerable and vulnerable and saying, hey, this, and saying, is, hey, where this is where we're at. This is what, this it, is was. what it was. And as, leader, and as a leader, I would imagine, I would that's, imagine humbling, that's humbling, that's difficult, that's difficult the, 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 tears, the tears, responsibility. responsibility. What, what, if you could if just you take could us just back take us during that during time, that what, was, time, that what like, was that like working with, working your, people with your people and your culture during that time? Yeah. Um, yeah, this is big boys and girls stuff, right? Um, you know, first and foremost, you have to you have to lead and paint what it looks like at the end, right? Even though that's incredibly hard to do, right? You basically have to say, listen, we started something from nothing. Now, you know, tons and tons of health plans use this. And so um, this is going to be huff. We're going to be hard. We're going to do it together, but we're going to go here and we've got to all do it together. And we're just going to... So, that's really important because remember, not only were bad things happening in the economy, but literally, if I if I took out the Wall Street Journal from October 16th, 2008, it would say Washington Mutual is going for bankruptcy. And people would be like, wait a minute, isn't, aren't they, isn't that our biggest client? And the next day it was like, well, Countrywide Financial just is about to go go bust. Isn't that our second biggest client? And General Motors is, needs a governor bailout. Isn't that our third? But like, So it was literally in their faces every day. So the first thing you do is you have to lead. The second thing you have to do is you are always on stage as the leader, right? And, and the way that you handle self, yourself during that time. Somebody told me, said, paid me a really sweet compliment. Years later, we were having a party and one of the people from my company said, you know what? We never really worried that much because you always seemed like it was just a matter of we had to do A and B and C. She goes, except this one time. And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, so I'm a, I played college baseball. I had this little rubber baseball in my office that I used to play against the wall or whatever. Once a client had come to us and said, in the midst of all that, um, we're going to stay with you. We're not going to cancel, even though we should. And I was like, that's awesome. And then a week later, they call back and says, it's so bad. We have to cancel. And I pounded on the desk and I threw my rubber baseball against the wall. She goes, that's the only time we ever got scared. And I was like, really over two years. So so you have to you have to show them where you're going. You have to maintain a demeanor when you're getting kicked between the legs 20 times a day, which is you just have to do that, right? But the other thing we did is like you have to you have to have look at it holistically. You have to say, okay, you need a plan for customers. Okay, there's that. You need a plan for investors, there's that. And you need a plan for employees. So with respect to employees, we said, listen, we've got to cut costs, but we know you guys, we know you guys are our family. Let's be creative with it. So how can we be creative? So we said, for example, let's split jobs. Like we've got to reduce it by this. So let's split jobs. So somebody will have half of this job and the other person will have half of this job. And so we don't have to let you go. We'll say, if you had, got, could get health insurance from your spouse, right? Like we just did all these things together as much as we could. And, and we really were able to minimize the layoffs. Cause if you said, Hey, listen, we have to lay off a third of the staff or whatever the number was. Right. Um, uh, we were able to just say, we got to carve this up. And if we carve it up, right. Can we get to the same number by being creative where somebody worked a third of the time or health insurance was, you know, they had two young kids and had like, we just got into it and got into the sausage making of all of it and tried to try to, it wasn't hard us to get a right line because we had built this from nothing like all of us have been told a hundred times for years and years christian this will never happen and, and it had happened and so we had some very very loyal hard-working people but but um but at the same time to your point earlier yes this fell on me and my team but imagine somebody that makes forty thousand dollars a year that has two kids 
it's a lot harder for them than would ever be for for us. So you know, you just try to you take a lot into account very quickly, um, uh, you know, j just to try to plot your path forward. With that being, With that said, being said, where did that, where did idea, that idea come from, come from in, regards in regards to that, to that creative, creative approach? approach? It's like okay, it's like, we, okay need we need to, to de decrease, decrease the expense by ten million dollars, dollars. Yeah. but instead of but just, instead just laying off a third, off a third like, like you normally you would. would. You you brought a creative. It seems like that's part of your values that became part of your ethos of your company. Where, where did that come from? Yeah, so it was. Uh, it's interesting. It goes back to what I said before. It's like we can't do the normal stuff. If we do the normal stuff, it's not going to work, right? So you got to make it. I'll give you a great story, and this is one that worked, and it's a better story because it worked than if it didn't work. So, a lot of what we did in in uh, in our company was we gave away rewards for being healthy, and some of those rewards were actually gift cards to retailers, to Applebee's, and you know whatever. And so we used to pay like like 80 cents on the dollar for a gift card from a retailer, from a national retailer. So we'd pay $80 and we'd give it away to somebody for $100 and we'd make a little bit of money on that. So um, we were giving away probably $15 million a month of, of these gift cards. Well, when everything was hunky-dory, that, that just flowed in and out of cash flow. When all of your cash goes away, all of a sudden – you're like, wait a minute, we need $15 million. And normally it was like, you're giving away 15, we have 25, right? When this stuff happens a month later, we need 15 and we have one. And I'm no math major, but you don't have to be a rocket scientist to be, it doesn't work. So you're like, well, how do you reduce the liability of 15 million to 1 million pretty quickly? So we went to our national retail partners, uh, all the retailers you would know, and we said, so, we right now we buy from 80 cents on the dollar. Nobody's walking into your store right now because of the dramatic economic times. Like you should let us buy gift cards for 20 cents on the dollar. And they're like, nope, we're not doing that. So we literally went, our office was in Northern New Jersey. And so those are conversations where with national retailers, we literally went to the local version of the retailer. So we went to the Applebee's store and we said to Applebee's, so Applebee's, we wanna buy all of these gift cards, but we don't wanna pay very much for them. Long story short, and it's a great story, um, we got locally from Applebee's, Applebee's gift cards for 10 cents on the dollar. So we took, and then we just literally drove up and down Route 17 in New Jersey to every retail. And if, and if a retailer said no, if Applebee's one said no, you realize I'm gonna go right down the street to the next Applebee's and give them $100,000. So we literally decreased a $15 million liability to essentially a $1.5 million liability by negotiating with all of these retail partners locally. And if they're like, we could get in trouble from national, we're like, that's your problem. We're gonna hand you a check. If you get caught, you get caught. If you don't want it, we'll go to the next guy. And I literally drove up and down, uh, even to the point where we used to go into Applebee's to pick up gift cards, right? They would, whether it was nine in the morning, like we'd send somebody over there, they would, they would always, it would always take a long time and it took a long time because they would go in back and build us like the chicken wing platter. And like, because we were buying so many gift cards from them. But, but that actually took a $15 million liability and turned it to an, a million and a half dollar liability almost overnight, which I don't want to say it saved the company, but it certainly didn't hurt. I think it's so fun the creativity, so fun, the creativity that you had behind you had that whole thing, that whole, thing, whole, thing, that whole process. process, and uh, just and, the team uh, that you had. Michael, Michael, I am a big believer in the concept that in business, in business, 
you have to make decisions, have to make decisions with, very little data. with very little data. And sometimes, and sometimes looking that back, looking that hindsight, back hindsight, you say, well, that was, a, say, bad well, that was decision, a bad decision, or we could have been, been better at it. But also in, but the, also actual in the actual pit, in the actual hole, in the actual hole you don't have that data. Have that data right? Yeah. So my question, so my Michael, question is, Michael, is, can you think can about you think a time about a during this during period, period where you didn't have enough data, but you were running against the clock, you had to make a decision, and sometimes looking back on it, you're like, well, we could have probably adjusted it, or what did you learn from that experience? Yeah, hundred percent. And in fact, your your point's such a good one because if you think about, if you think about somebody came to you and said, "All right, there's an idea for a business where you're going to actually pay a complete stranger to take you somewhere that you've never met before." Well, what was the market for that before the market was there? Like, was the market for Uber was zero before the market? Like, so what would the data have said? The data would said that so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I probably the biggest one for me is you had you literally had to make a choice like a lot of people do that there's certain sus customers you can't serve. Like you've got a certain expense base. Every one of our customers were health plans and employers like big companies. And some, you know, some customers are they're not profitable or some customers are are going to be profitable if they grow, but they're not cop profitable when you first you had to without data. <laughs> Right. You had to basically go and make a decision about which customers that you would pick up the phone and say, listen, we've got to do things um, just like everybody else is doing, make choices about what we're going to do. And we just can't service you anymore. And those are hard decisions to make because you work really hard to get those customer relationships. But there wasn't some magic crystal ball of or I shouldn't even say magic crystal ball. There wasn't any information or data about, well, what's going to happen if you go to this big employer in this state? Will you ever be able to recover in that state? If you go to this health plan and you say, we can't serve you anymore, will you ever, like, like a Blue Cross Blue Shield, right? Will you ever be able, you have 50 other Blue Cross Blue Shield clients. Is the, is the rumor going to start? Like you, you just, you have to get really, really, you know, people say all the time, you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Well, this is a comfortable with being uncomfortable. Like you have to take risks because the risk of not acting was much, much greater than the risk of acting and getting it wrong. What I always love what about, I always love about tough, times, tough times, bus cycles, bus if, cycles you if you will, is it allows it all allows of us to get away from our ivory tower sometimes and be able to look into our business at a micro level, level, like you mentioned, like and you bring, mentioned, the and bring the creativity and innovation. And innovation. Yeah. During this time, During this Michael, time Michael, how do you feel, like, do you feel like by plugging by up the plugging holes, up by reanalyzing your business at a micro level, you said, okay, at a macro level, I can't control But all these other things, I can. How do you feel like some of that and revisiting some of those systems Processes, processes, you know, techniques, you know, techniques, techniques marketing, marketing strategies, strategies, maybe business maybe structure, business whatever, structure it is, whatever it is, and how it actually helps you level up your business to have then a successful exit later on. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You never accept the premise that you don't control things because that's what you're supposed to do as a CEO, right? It's like stuff happens in the world, you're supposed to be prepared for it, and we just weren't. So you always take responsibility for that. I think that we literally said we've got to start to look at every part of the business differently because the math doesn't add up. So for us, you know, Christian, it wasn't that hard to look at that way. Just we knew if we just kept going down the path, it wouldn't work because all of our clients were the companies that were going bankrupt every day. So in a lot of ways, it was easy to take a completely different perspective, like some of the ones I shared because you didn't have any choice. Like if you just look at where the math was going, you're like, who's going to be our next client in the middle of 2008? Like they're not going to be new people. Everybody existing is going to cut our type of thing. Like there wasn't a path. So you just, you literally had to make it up um, or else you knew you wouldn't have survived. So, and also to talk about survival when six months earlier, we got offered a number that I can't even repeat to sell the business. 
was surreal to everybody, but you literally just had to say, we got to start to look at everything differently. Um, when somebody would say to us, um, no, I want my hundred dollar, I'll call it bed, bath and beyond. Cause they're in the news today, bed, bath and beyond gift certificate. And we're like, we weren't able to negotiate with bed, bath and beyond. We're going to give you $400 of Amazon, right? Because the $400 on Amazon, we had negotiated a deal that it cost us 10 cents. I mean, you just, you didn't, they're like, we can't give you a bed, bath, man. Like there were just a lot of times at that, at that time where you had to be steadfast in getting from point A to point B, but you couldn't have gotten to point A to point B if you didn't look at every single thing about the, about the way you were doing things. You just wouldn't have survived. So in some ways the, the, the fate was already dictated for us that we had to make those changes. So because of that, so pressure, because of that pressure externally, externally and, you and you had to revisit every aspect, every aspect of, your of your business, that actually helped that actually you then later on scale, scale and have a successful exit um, um, and, 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 and implementing, these, implementing these, systems. these systems. Did you have Did to, you I'm, have curious, to I'm curious, hire new, hire new people, people or maybe or other talent acquisition to help you level up? And once you get to that next phase two, phase three, where it's okay, we've got expenses down, we've got revenue. Okay, cool. That's a line now. We've got to hit a foundation. Now we can start looking about scaling and building again. Because that really at the beginning, you just had to really stop the boat from sinking. And that was the big thing. And then you had to start pivoting. Can you give us a little bit of the timeline on those kind of phases? Yeah. Um, so a couple of things about 2008, um, you didn't get a letter in the mail or an email or a text that said this will last 627 days, right? Like, so you're like, this could be a year. It could be, remember what people talked about. Think about the way people were talking about Silicon Valley Bank about two weeks ago. Is this an isolated thing or is this going to be the next five-year thing? So that was one of the hardest parts, Chris, is you don't have a time. Like you don't have a time that, that goes from point A to point B. The other thing I will say, and you alluded to it before, is um, you learn skills that you didn't think you had. Um, and uh, you emerge, right, or start to emerge after about, for us, about two and a half years. Now, remember, those two and a half years sound really sexy right now, 20 hours a day, every day a week, right? You're in survival mode, right? Because again, our fundamental issue is that there's no customers, like there's nobody buying anything and all of our existing customers are bankrupt. So do the math. I remember when in a board meeting, somebody said, what's the worst case scenario? And I'm like, zero, right? So, right, so you learn things. And so, but when we started to emerge from that, it all seemed easy. It all seemed so like, and remember we had already been bigger so scaling wasn't hard. We had already done it before. We had already built sales teams and account management teams and the technology was already built. So for us, it was just putting, you know, now the holes in the dam are better and things are starting to grow. And in the, in the world, everybody started to care about healthcare because it'd been completely ignored during the crisis. So the biggest problem that companies were having were their healthcare costs. So, so the stars started to align um, and so for us to build back on top is something that we already done. Um, and so we just kind of redeployed the formula, uh, and had some just amazing, amazing leaders around me and people around me that made great sacrifices along the way to, uh, to get us from point A to point B. But at that point, from that point forward, um, uh, it, I, I don't know if I call it easy, but it certainly seemed easy. I, I, maybe it's just somebody stops kicking between the legs. It's then everything seems like it's uh, the first page. I'll tell you this. Um, after we sold Lonely Entrepreneur, which we'll get into, or sold in St. Juan, and we wrote the book Lonely Entrepreneur, the first page of the book is about 
what we call the cold shower. Um, I used to work out every day in the morning at five in the morning. And uh, one day I was working out and I was taking a shower afterwards and there was no hot water. And it was, you know, hit me and you go, whoa. And, and this is how nuts we are as entrepreneurs. I was like, I wonder how much that you can take. And so every day I would stand under the cold shower to the point where I got it up to five minutes. And I was like, if you could do this every day, then what happens during the day all seems easy. I would encourage your listeners, go stand in the shower for five minutes under, under freezing cold water uh, and everything else. So, you know, you just do these things that when, but when you come out of that, Christian, both personally and, and health-wise and just the company's health-wise, I don't know. It just all seems much easier than it was. I appreciate that, I appreciate perspective. that perspective. And I'm curious, and I'm curious just, to kind of, just to kind of, you know, you know string on that, string a, little on that a little bit further. Now that you know, that, you that, know that being in a condensed, in a condensed tough, situation tough situation helps you grow helps you at a very grow exponential level. Exponential level. Yep. And then you can, and then you can later on, once you're beyond that, it's like, oh, this is like, oh, life this is easy, life whatever. Is easy, whatever. What do you do what now, do you do Michael, now Michael, to get yourself, to get yourself in those in those tough, tough difficult, difficult, uncomfortable situations, intentionally, intentionally, to ensure yep. that to you ensure are that growing, you are, growing, and you are scaling, you are scaling in, certain skills, in certain skills that you are very intentional. For me, that was never hard because I was always somebody that pushed, right? And and so that was always a very natural thing. In fact, I had to like a lot of entrepreneurs had to scale it back. You know, I came off from being a college athlete and a mergers and acquisitions lawyer. So being kind of a lunatic about this stuff. Um, remember back in my old M&A days, you would say, as a young guy in my 20s, somebody you would say, uh, uh, you need to be in Paris in three hours, some partner at a law firm, you know, and I'd be like, but but the flight's six hours. They're like, figure it out, right? Like, like these. that's the world that I came from. So pushing was never the issue. What was the issue for us was that People were beat up, you know, our people were, were beat up. And so uh, now they were smiling more and they felt better, but it had been a long, you know, road over the couple, first couple of years. So one thing we did that I'm, I'm probably, one of the things I'm the most proud of is I was saying to myself, okay, how do we get everybody to perform at a higher level? How do we take it to the next level when you could have just been like, we're just going to chill for a little bit. Like we're just going to, and that's, that's the way we think of CEOs. We're always talking about growing and moving. And we said to ourselves, okay, um, how do you get really people to do this? And so we did something that we're incredibly proud of. We went to everybody in the companies, you know, now it's probably 500, 600 employees, whatever it was. And we said, um, we want to interview and we want to ask you what you want. And you're like, what do you mean what I want? And the first answer was what you'd expect when the CEO and, you know, somebody else sits down with you. They would say, I want to be better at, you know, I want to learn the product better and I want to learn how to, you know, communicate. But I was like, no, 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 not what you want for the company, but what you want. And, and to a certain extent, we felt we really owed that to them. And every time they answered about the company, we're like, I don't want to hear about the company, right? And, and so one and again, these are fresh in my head, even though they're years and years ago. One one woman said, I want my mom to stop smoking. Somebody else said that I want to, I've always wanted to learn how to sing opera. Another one said that I, I want to learn how to cook. And so we took all of our time and effort and late relationships and influence. And instead of having stupid pizza parties, which we did too, we took all of our money and we started getting these things for people. Uh, and we wrote a chapter about it in the book. We called, you know, help people with their bucket list and, and performance will follow. 
what started to happen, people started learning the product more, people started, right, becoming more proactive, people were covering for each other, like, and it was one of the things that we did where, and, and today, one of our customer service reps is literally an, a professional opera singer. Um, and so anyway, you know, this is one, one thing I would say to this, it relates to our earlier conversation. What we lack as entrepreneurs in capital and resources, we do not lack in creativity. And so the ability to bring new and different ways of thinking about things. So you can imagine now these employees have hair on fire. You know, we had people coming to work in New Jersey and they were sitting in traffic. We're like, why shouldn't you start work at 10 o'clock? So you don't have to sit in traffic and you can actually have breakfast with your kid. Like, like just now in this day and age of work for home, that's not so strange. But back then it would be like, oh my God, you're not at work at 8.15. Um, and remember, I came from a very hardcore environment. I came from New York M&A, so this is not natural for me. Um, but you just you just try to get a sense of the tone of where your organization is and try to get them. And we got performance from people, even after working their asses off for years through this whole thing with a lot of stress, that people were performing at a level that wasn't just 2 or 3% better. It was probably 30 or 40% better because of the things that we did. That, that is incredible, is incredible. Bottom, line bottom line and top line, and top line to see that line, massive 20-30% increase, increase and how effectively, how effectively just um, infuse so much infuse energy, so much energy the, the resources, the resourcefulness, resourcefulness of these individuals, these individuals just because you were thinking you're externally and creatively in a different problem. problem. I just think that's, yeah. that's very interesting. That's very interesting. I, want I want to talk a little bit about the exit. The exit. Um, and, and, and I know and, we're not even talking a little bit about the numbers, but really about the context. How you thought about it, how you navigated it, and how you made sure that was a good transition. Uh, at a higher level, uh, at a higher level. And then I'd love to talk a little bit about, you know, obviously the only entrepreneur and how that evolved and so forth. But first, let's dive into, let's dive the, into exit the exit and how you, and how you, you navigate it once you got to that once point. And you're like, okay, I think we're ready. And what was your mindset and what was your perspective around, you know, a successful exit? Yeah. It always, you know, in a lot of ways, it always comes down to numbers. You got to get where you want to get to. But I think probably more importantly, as CEOs, you get a sense of the market. And so on the other end of the financial crisis, everybody was interested in healthcare. And I think a lot of people realized that we had really beaten up on employees and others in the economy that you weren't gonna get them to improve on their health, right? You weren't, you know, a big health plan wasn't gonna be able to go to somebody or a health or an employer that just fired a bunch of people. It wasn't gonna be able to, please go take care of yourself. They'd be like, screw you, right? So you just got a sense that this was gonna be a time. But what also starts to happen is as you're growing again, what starts to happen is people start to approach you differently. You know, customers like health plans that would approach, but then they'd also have their venture groups reaching out to you, right? And other people are starting to, so you could really start to sense that, that incentivizing healthy behavior was something that was coming up the wave, right? You were riding the wave, but everybody was gonna jump in, right? Everybody was gonna go there because if you created the best diabetes solution, People aren't going to respond unless you incentivize them because we just beat the hell out of them for three years, right? So as CEO, I could just sense that the wave was coming and there were a lot of people kicking our tires. There were a lot of people that were approaching us and having different types of conversations, not just, hey, this would be a really interesting solution for our health plan, but we'd also like you to talk to our venture group, which is the opposite of what they normally do. So you could get a sense that this was going to come and it was going to last a period of time. And so, you know, that's when you throw out buoys, right? You, you, you talk to people, you get a sense of people and you start to drive it. Um, and then it just took, you know, once, once that happens, it starts to take on a life of its own. And, 
with all the struggles we had had because of 2008, we were really the inventor of the industry. And so when it became aware or became clear rather that this is a solution that some that everybody's going to do, um, we were able to position ourselves in such a way, you know, through relationships we had and and and, and others, that um, somebody's going to get this. And you know, if you want it to be you, there's a there's a process we're going to go through and. Uh, and it happened. And by the way, the way I'm describing it right now is a lot simpler than it ever was. I always describe it like, oh, yeah, I just wrote a number on a napkin and whatever. Um, you know, it was uh, the way I describe it today is build it, save it, sell it. And each one of those were unique journeys, um, as was the, the time of, uh, you know, recovering and, and selling the company. Well, it's just like well, it's just like when you're looking, when for, you're a buyer, looking for a buyer. It's the same thing it's as like same an interview. Like interviewing process, right? process, right? As much as they as want to buy, your, want to company, buy your company, right? And you're right? the seller. And you're the seller. You are also you are interviewing also them. Interviewing you want to make sure that there's alignment, not just on the number not side. We can talk about that later offline. But really, also the culture is one of the big aspects. Is this buyer? Are they going to expand and keep that culture and do their cultures align? And is that also something that was part of the conversation when you were, you know, like you mentioned, putting your boobies out and sort of realizing okay, you're getting some hooks, and you sort of realize okay, you have maybe five, ten individuals that are interested. Cool, but now you. You were but filtering, you were those, filtering individuals those individuals upon, okay, upon, hey, okay, not only the number, are they going to hit that, cool, that, wonderful cool, check, wonderful but check. also the culture, also the culture. What, are goals, what are their goals, what are their dreams with their this dreams company, with this when, company they when they acquire it? And the second part, the of, the second part of the question is, is what does that evolution look like for a smooth transaction? What I mean by is you have to talk to your people and give them anticipation, and then as well as did you stay off for a little while to make sure, obviously, it was integrated properly. Yeah, I mean, culture and lots of other things go into it, right? You have to, your investors and you and, and your team and, you know, uh, the people that not just built the company, but also the people that got us through 2008. Um, you know, we had set up compensation structures for them where they all won. So that was good. But um, yeah, all those things go into it. You know, we, one of the final bidders of it was a French company. Um, and we were concerned that uh, how committed they would be to the US, right? Um, even though they might have, we're really interested in the process. So yeah, you know, like entrepreneurs today, you know, you, there's a lot that goes into the soup when you sell a company, there's just, everything goes into it and you have a bunch of uh, different perspectives and people that, you know, you have to align uh, to that. Um, and in the end, that all, that all felt right. Um, I know for me, um, I did stay around for a little while, but a completely different capacity. You know, I told them, I said, if I'm gonna still run it, I'm not gonna sell it. I was like, if you want it and you want to buy it, I will help you, but nothing reports to me, right? I want my, I have great people and I want those people to be empowered to do it. And I will, and I will help, right? Do as much as I can. I'll go talk to customers. I'll help with strategy, but none of the business can report to me because if it's going to report to me, then I'll keep it. Um, and, you know, I think, I hope that they respected that and it put us in a position for them to do their thing. And also, you know, I just, uh, the one thing I did do um, is I really, I hope, educated our people. I'm like, it's not going to be the same because, you know, it's, it's like somebody adopting your baby, right? Um, and I'm like, and you have to, we have to be okay with that. Like, you can't be like it used to be this way because you're going to think that every day, right? Um, the pencils are blue and now they're going to be green. And the way that we did things collaboratively and, 
and uh, and just fix problems and solve problems. And and you, as you can imagine, we had an incredible can-do attitude, um, given everything that we had, right, um, been been through, right. So we were just like, yep, problem. There's always a way. Like think about one of the things we say in the book is there's always that's the way entrepreneurs think. There's always a way, and it's certainly true. And we had that mentality. So. Definitely preparing, that was probably the hardest part is preparing the team for what was going to be a new environment because while I was going to be there, it just wasn't going to be ours anymore. Uh, but in the end, it worked out pretty good. I appreciate you kind of unpacking that a little bit because, little because it's one of the things that I find so interesting find so specifically about like the financials. Yes, everyone wants to make money, but also the culture and make sure there's alignment on both because obviously you want to make sure it's a good transaction. Not just for yourself, but like you mentioned, your responsibility for these people that have compensation packages and alignment and love of the passion for the company and what it stands for. And then, you know, I've seen some that have got bought up, but it's like later on, what they do with it, there's no massive, you know, good alignment with it. So yeah. I want to talk a little bit about, your, little incredible, about your incredible, the lonely, entrepreneur. the lonely entrepreneur. This is what you say on your website. I found website. this very, I, 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 I love this. Information is everywhere. Information is everywhere. Intelligence, Intelligence is rare. Is rare. True insight comes from the struggle, comes from like the we struggle, just talked about. Like we knowing just what works knowing under what the works, influence of the passion, the influence pressure, passion, pleasure, 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 and pain of being the entrepreneur. You have an incredible community, consulting, speaking, and corporate events that you do. Underneath this amazing umbrella of the lonely entrepreneur. After having an exit, after having an exit, a lot of people want to just go out and buy a yacht or buy an island and have some fun. You decided not to. You decided to get back into it and help others. What I like to get, what I always like to say is, get to the top of the mountain. Get to the top of the mountain. And I think that's very, very honorable. So, where did that evolution come from? Where did that idea come from? Where is like this is where you want to spend the next time in your energy and effort? You know, Christian, I'm not a serial entrepreneur, nor is I, nor did I evolve. You know, emerge rather from that experience with my company being sold, saying I wanted to help other entrepreneurs. Like I, that was not in my mind. I was literally just taking a deep breath and and kind of reconnecting with life and friends and things like that. Uh, for me, I'm only attracted to the idea. Rewarding people for being healthy was like, okay, it's white space. It helps society. It helps people. And it has to check all of those boxes for me. Remember. And, and so for me to get interested in something again would take all of those things, especially because I had just sold the company and I could do whatever I wanted, right? Including nothing. Um, so I wasn't looking for anything. I wasn't, a lot of you know people that are successful want to give back and help entrepreneurs. That was not my mindset at all. I was literally in New York City relaxing, just helping friends and friends of friends who were starting businesses for fun, right? Uh, and one of them said to me, being an entrepreneur is really lonely. And I was like, huh? Forgot, but frankly, forgot about it. And like two weeks later, I was walking down the street with a friend of mine in, in Union Square, New York. And I said, lonely entrepreneur. And he said, what did you say? And I said, lonely entrepreneur. He's like, oh my God, what is that? That's brilliant. I've never heard that. I'm like, what do you mean? It's just a phrase. He goes, are you kidding me? And he goes into a Starbucks and I'm like, what is he doing? And he stops when he walks in the Starbucks and he yells top of his lungs. This is like 2015-ish, 16. Who here is a lonely entrepreneur? And literally everybody put their hand up and I was like okay you have all of these people that have passion and energy and great ideas and they're it's not translating into success or at least the success wow if you could wake up and do anything every day why not do that but I was like well what does that mean like okay cool and then what really got me interested because remember I'm a technology guy I'm a product guy like I was like 
how do people learn how to do what they need to do? There's just like hot, random hodgepodge of stuff that they have to try to figure out. I'm like, why couldn't you build a platform? Like, why couldn't there be a one-stop shop where everybody gets everything they need? So that's what Lonely Entrepreneur came. We built this platform called The Learning Community because my desire was to help any, everybody. There's somebody in Jacksonville and Seattle and Shanghai that's trying to do it. And right now they're going all over the place to try to figure out, wow, if you had a platform that you could put in people's hands and give them a better chance of success, then that's what really got me excited about, about Lonely Entrepreneur was not just the name and the, and the mission of it, right? But the fact that there was this gaping hole of people that were, right, Googling and talking to people with the same last name as them to try to figure out how to spend their life savings and if you could have a, an impact on millions and millions of people. So again, for me, Christian, it was the idea, right? Um, and, and then just how that very, very organically, and you can see how it just so organically connected back to my healthcare company because we had been through this whole struggle. So I, I couldn't have planned it any better. <laughs> Well, it's so well, interesting it's so the, evolution, the evolution, and you're exactly and you're right. Exactly there's right. a, there is a uh, that's why I, I, that's why I, I mentioned this. Information is everywhere. Intelligence is rare. And where you've been and created, where you've been a huge ecosystem where it does attract people from all different, from all different verticals, verticals. But at the end of the, but at the end of the day, they're very day, similar they're in this, very similar where they're at in the stage. In the stage. So, yeah. so you have got a really amazing heartbeat on these entrepreneurs. What do you notice? What do you notice? Some of them that are kind of where they're at, where they're struggling. What are some of the big things? Is it more of a mindset? Is it more of just a lack of skills that they need to acquire to be able to you know, level up? Is it more of just, you know, maybe the talent acquisition or creativity? What do you find is one of the biggest things that are kind of along this journey of a lonely entrepreneur that they struggle with? Yeah, I think... I think we did a real disservice to entrepreneurs by saying, if you go back, you know, 10 or 15 years, as long as you have passion and grit and a good idea, you're good. And that's literally what we said, right? And as long as you slam your head into the wall harder than the next guy or gal, then you'll be fine. And that's really what we told people, right? Put the little E on your chest entrepreneur and you can do all kinds of stupid, crazy stuff. Or put differently, if I said to you now, uh, after I get off this with you, Christian, I'm going to pro go perform heart surgery. And you're like, oh, Michael, I didn't realize you were a heart surgeon. I'm like, I'm not a heart surgeon. I'm just going to try heart surgery. That's what we did with entrepreneurs. And entrepreneurship is so complicated in the year 2023. And even before, there's so much that goes into it, including your heart, your soul, your passion, your pressure, your pain. Like there's just all this stuff in the soup where it's like, just go figure it out. And so I think really, right, um, passion, grit, and a good idea is not enough. It's a series of lots and lots of skills. A lot of times people say as entrepreneurs, if I could just blank, and that blank is different for everybody, right? And so I think first and foremost, you have to embrace the fact that you've got to get better at it. Like you've got to, you've got to learn a whole series of skills, right? Across the different things that you do that will increase your chances of success. Now, there's a lot of those. There's probably hundreds of those. And that's one of the things we try to do with our learning community. What I'd say is this, a lot of entrepreneurs go into it with a lack of the, some of the core fundamentals, right? The core fundamentals being what's my goal personally, what's the financial goal of the company, right? If I want to create one pizza stand, that's one plan. If I want to create pizza hut, that's the next plan, a different plan. So, I got to have it if I don't have a financial goal, if I don't have some core projections. And then probably the one area that I still think is the most important um, is what we call it, Lonely Entrepreneur, finding a playground where nobody else is playing. Uh, we live in such a world of clutter 
that it's not enough to say, well, let me put these two things next to each other and compare which one's better. And then somebody will buy or not buy my solution. Think about our email every day. There's tons of, like we could have the launch codes or the lottery numbers in our email and we never pay attention to it. So to me, finding that playground where everybody else is selling apples and you're selling oranges, which is incredibly hard to find. Think of rewarding people for being healthy, right? There were tons and tons of loyalty programs at the time with lots of big competitors, Micro, uh, uh, American Express, Visa, MasterCard. We just applied it to healthcare, right? And we're, so to me, you know, Christian, even though there's a lot of blocking and tackling that goes into that, um, you gotta set a personal goal. You gotta have a financial plan aligned to that goal. And if you don't get your playground right, you can do all the stuff. You can do social. Remember, we all use the same tools. We all use the same marketing, the same social media, the same email, the same web. Like if we all use the same stuff, why does somebody win? Um, I'll, I'll give you a very specific example that hopefully will help the, the people listening. Woman, she's a nurse. She gets tired of being a nurse. She always was very interested in helping people with financial planning and their financial lives. And so she becomes a financial planner only to learn that there's 7 trillion financial planners, right? No surprise, like every industry. And so we were just talking to her about helping her find a playground. She had only a couple of clients that were paying her to do financial planning. And we asked her about her clients and they were all nurses. And we're like, you're gonna become the financial planner for nurses. So now she went from being one of 7 million to one of one, maybe not one, one of eight. And now, if you're a nurse, so now in her playground, she sets the rules, she talks nurse, she speaks nurse, she, and so if you're a nurse, you go to her. So those, that to me, Christian, and to the team at Lonely Entrepreneur, if you get that right, a lot of other things line up. Um, and that's something a lot of times entrepreneurs don't do. They're like, I have good cookies, I'm gonna go bake cookies and then I'll figure out the rest, the rest later. You know what I find so interesting is I was talking to someone that had a, someone was running a mid-eight figure, figure business, and they were kind of the same situation. It's like yes, they have product market fit. Yes, they were able to really scale and scale, making some money, top line. But even then, they still kind of lost who they were, who they were servicing. And the reason I'm saying that is because I love that example where they were able to target, identify, and say yes, your financial advisor, but you also just specifically for nurses and that lingo, and now all of a sudden you attract those individuals specifically. And like you mentioned, like there's you so mentioned, many different, so tools, different tools, tools that you can use, can use but you got to get clear on what's your result. What's your result? And, and Jeffrey's, Jeffrey's goals are goals drastically are different than different Susie's goals, Susie's and, goals you know, and, and really understanding what do you want, how do you want to live, and do you want to just sell baked cookies at the local store? That's awesome. You can make a lot of money with it. Or do you want to build the next cookie empire? Just well, depends, just right? depends, every goal, right? and every then goal, reverse and then engineering, reverse engineering the skills that you, skills need, that you need to be able to get there. To to get there. So, yeah, that, when you create one pizza stand, right, you know, just all you need is an oven and you do it yourself and you make every slice. And if you're creating Pizza Hut, you should go raise private equity money, right? It's just, it's a just a different, completely different plan. It's when you don't make that distinction, right, and you're wiggling in the middle and you're like, oh, I need a lot of money to do this. You're like, and now I've burnt my life savings and, you know, all that fun stuff.
And that's never fun. That's never fun. So right. I'm curious. So I'm curious. Um, you know, I, I really you know, just appreciate you being on here, Michael, and, and, and just talking and, and just about talking all this about fun all stuff. This fun stuff. Um, um, and I always love to ask, my, love guests, to ask my guests, one, one where can they reach you? How can they reach out to your community? How can they be part of what you've got going on? I know you've got tons of resources. You've been featured tons of different places, MSNBC, Forbes, the Entrepreneur Magazine, all this fun stuff. How can they reach out? How can they communicate with what you've got going on, man? First of all, thank you so much for the privilege of being here. I really appreciate it. You know, we take the passion of entrepreneurs very, very seriously because we've been through it, as I know you have. And um, everything's Lonely Entrepreneur. So LonelyEntrepreneur.com, LonelyEntrepreneur.org is our nonprofit. Um, all the social media channels are The Lonely Entrepreneur, right? Twitter's The Lonely E, but you can find us on pretty much everything The Lonely Entrepreneur. The Lonely Entrepreneur book is available on our site and, and through Amazon. So everything Lonely Entrepreneur. But the core website is uh, LonelyEntrepreneur.com. And as I mentioned, the the core thing that we're trying to do is our learning community. Um, our two main offerings are, it's a subscription-based product that you can get all the stuff that hopefully helps you. And for those of you that are further along, it's uh, we do consulting and try to help you know on uh, on the growth of these issues. But um, it all comes down to a lot of the issues that we've you know we've been talking through today, and, and a very um, we hope genuine uh, stewardship of of a lot of the, the passion that people put into this. Awesome, guys. Those awesome, links guys. Those are in the description below, so make sure you stop what you're doing and consume a lot of that content. A lot of his book is really amazing. LonelyEntrepreneur.com. His website's got tons of content out there. And like I mentioned, I'll put his blog and all the places that he's been featured, his other interviews. Really, really great stuff. You should just consume and learn. Michael, I really appreciate being on here. One of the biggest things that I always love to ask before I let you go fully, you know, you've done very well. Now you've been able to look back and help others achieve incredible successes. Successes. And and during this during journey, this Michael, journey, Michael, you think about that, you young, think about Michael, that young Michael to what you've been, what able, you've to been able to do now. What insecurities, what insecurities did you have to overcome, you have to yourself, overcome personally yourself personally to become the successful, become the successful Michael, Dermot Michael Dermot you are now? You are now. I didn't have any insecurities. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, I think I don't know if it necessarily call it an insecurity, but I think it's the right balance of uh, ego and humility. Um, remember, Christian, as I showed before, you know, I came off from being a college athlete and an M&A lawyer and a boy. None of that screams humility. Um, and I think that one of the things that you have to really grow as is you have to have a healthy dose of ego. And I don't mean ego in a bad way, because all of us are saying to someone, you're going to do something different. I'm going to put something in front of you. For us, we're asking a whole healthcare industry right? You have to, have, I mean, people are like, we're never doing this. We're never doing it. You have to have a healthy ego to bring something different to the table. And that's a good thing. You need that. But if that ego is not combined with the right level of humility, because you have to be humble enough to do what I said before, which is to understand that you have to learn and grow as an entrepreneur. And if you don't, you will fail. And so, and those two things are are oftentimes in conflict because a lot of times you got to run through the wall and you got to take people with you and you got to paint a vision and that takes ego. If you do not do that with humility to learn and grow as a, a leader and entrepreneur, like a lot of times people that start businesses, they never wanted to be CEO. They're just a good chef or a good technologist or, or a good physician or a good, right? You name it. Um, and so for me, I think what I had to overcome you know, was my own perspective of where I'd come in in life from sports and being a corporate lawyer of just go, go, go. And, and if you're not fast enough to keep up, then that's your problem. And it's completely the opposite. 
<clears throat> it's I'm successful if I can get others to do stuff. I can get me to do stuff, right? But can I get in a genuine way customers and employees and investors to do the types of things that they need to do? And and so for me, it probably was some insecurity about, well, wait a minute, I'm gonna admit that I don't know stuff. Ooh, right? Um, and in fact, when we locked our, launched our black initiatives, one of the things that our black leaders say is, we can't admit that we don't know stuff. That's not accepted in our communities. And that's not, that's something we can't do because blah, blah, blah. So I just think that was the biggest thing for me, Christian, is just understanding that being humble as a leader um, to go side by side with that ego will be instrumental to your success. And if you don't do it, it'll be your downfall. That is such that a cool such silver a cool lining, silver of, lining ego of ego and humility. And, humility. and that could be a whole other conversation, conversation on the podcast. So we will have to have you on again. I love that wisdom there. there. Guys, that is Guys, the that CEO is and founder of the Lonely Entrepreneur, my friend, my friend, the one and only Michael, Michael Dermer. Dermer. Guys, that is your new with Christian Yavitz podcast. Until next time, be in common. If you can. If you can.